listening to an audio sermon from Fort William Baptist Church. We are located in Thunder Bay, Ontario. To find out more about us, please visit our website at www.fortwilliambaptistchurch.com. Thank you for joining us today. Well, brothers and sisters, would you grab your Bibles and take them out? We're going to continue on in our series on the book of 2 Timothy. And so our sermon this morning comes in chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 8, and we're going to read through verse 13. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 8. This is the word of our God. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Oh, Father, we do ask that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word now. Amen. And so in my opinion, as we start to think about this text in front of us, the most moving scene from John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress comes in the last chapter of the book. You might not be familiar with this Christian classic, so I just want to set the stage for this scene really quickly. So Christian and his traveling companion, Hopeful, are on a journey, and the story centers around this, this one man, Christian. The story begins in the city of destruction, and Christian is a homeowner and resident in that city. But one day, Christian is out in a field reading a book, and what he reads in the book troubles him. The book says judgment is coming upon all who live in the city of destruction. And so, pricked by this book, Christian sets out on a journey to find salvation and to find out a, a new and better city as promised in the book. And so the, the book chronicles Christian's journey from the city of destruction to this new city. And on this journey, much good and bad happens. So in terms of good, Christian is a recipient of God's grace. Christian has this great burden on his back, and he finds the cross, and the, the burden falls off. He's forgiven. He finds faithful friends to, to travel with on this journey. He, he finds God's grace again and again as Christian is rescued from trials and temptations and foes. But he also experiences much that is bad, much that is, is trying. Right at the beginning of his journey, he gets stuck in the slough of despond where his, his guilt overtakes him. And then he's assaulted and left for dead on the side of the road when a group of thugs come and, and beat on him. And then he's mocked and ridiculed in Vanity Fair. And, and then he's captured, jailed, tortured in Doubting Castle by giant despair. And so there's all this going on. But we can just fast forward to the end of the story. So here are Christian and Journey. They've been traveling, and they, they make it to what they think is the, the celestial city. It's in front of them. It's not far away. They can almost reach out and, and grasp it. It's the place where the king of the land lives. It's a city full of glory, joy, and peace. But, and that word always appears in every good story, but 
There's one obstacle left in their way. There is a great river separating them from the celestial city. They can see it, but they can't get there. And there's no way to avoid this river. There isn't a bridge over it. There isn't a path around it. They have to cross through this river. But there's one peculiarity about this river that has to be noted. The depth of this river always changes. It's a tricky river. For those with more faith, the river is shallow and it's easy to cross. The footing is solid. But for those with less faith, the river is difficult and dangerous and treacherous, deep. And so they have to cross this river. There's Christian and Hopeful, the celestial city before them, the river in between them. So they only have one choice. They can't turn back. They have to go ahead. So Hopeful begins. He starts to cross the river. And what does he find? He finds solid footing. He doesn't slip. He doesn't slide. His head doesn't go below the surface of the waters. All that he has to do is is keep traveling on through the waters to make it across, to get to the city, to get to the king. But then there's Christian. And he has to go across the river. And so he goes in, he begins wading in. But Christian, he finds no solid footing in the river. And like a drowning man, he begins to flail and yell. And Christian's head keeps going below the surface of the waters. And Christian is overcome. He starts to despair. He starts to yell. He says, I sink in the deep water. The the billows go over my head. All the waves go over me. And then he yells at Hopeful. He says, my friend, the sorrows of death have totally encompassed me. I shall not see the land that flows with milk and honey. And so it's the make or break it moment for Christian. The water's going over Christian's head. Doubt and despair are seizing his soul. He's in trouble. But here Hopeful inserts himself into the story, into the scene. Alongside Christian, he looks to his fellow brother, his fellow traveler, and he yells at him. He says, be courageous. Jesus Christ makes you whole. That's what Christian does. He doesn't throw a life preserver. He encourages Christian with these words, be courageous. Jesus Christ makes you whole. And this simple call changes everything in the story. And listen to Bunny and what he says. With that, Christian broke out in a loud voice and said, Oh, I see him again. And he tells me, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. Then the two pilgrims took courage and the enemy became as still as a stone until they crossed over. And Christian discovered solid ground for his feet to stand upon. And so it turned out that once he found his footing, that the rest of the river was actually shallow and the two of them crossed over. And so as we think about this scene, there's only one message that could break through to Christian and save him and make a difference in, in the midst of his trial. It's a word about Jesus. Hopeful looks at his fellow traveler and says, be courageous. Jesus Christ makes you whole. And as these words sunk deep into the heart of Christian, he could see again. He could believe again. His strength was His faith was strengthened, and all of a sudden, the trial that was about to consume his his faith and destroy his soul, this, this raging river that was overcoming him, when he could see Jesus, became as tame as a wading pool. And so let's think about the book of 2 Timothy. Here's Timothy, and his situation is not as dramatic as Christians. There's no river, there's no waves, there's no water in the lungs. But Timothy's situation was certainly just as dangerous as, as, 
as Christians. All of the circumstances that Timothy was, was facing could have swallowed up his faith and devoured his, his soul. Timothy's great river wasn't death, but it was a host of unpleasant circumstances pressing in upon him. There's this matter of persecution. There's Paul, his mentor. He's in prison, bound with chains in Rome, likely to die. And this, this threat of persecution was not an idle threat just out there. It was pressing in upon Timothy as well. He needs to share in the midst of this persecution himself. So there's persecution pressing in on Timothy. And not only is there persecution, but there's, there's conflict Remember the church in Asia. The church in Asia is turning away from the Pauline gospel and the Pauline way of mission. They're looking at Paul and they're seeing his way of suffering and they say, I don't like that. I don't want to follow that Pauline way of, of living. And even more, there was petty conflict in the church in Asia. There was quarreling and backbiting and infighting, a war of words. So there's persecution, there's conflict, and on top of all of this, Timothy is wrestling for his own purity, for his own holiness. He's engaged in this knockdown, drag-out fight for pursuing Christ. And if you're engaged in the midst of this warfare for yourself, you know how hard and difficult and draining it can be. And so there's, there's Timothy in the set of his circumstances, and, and what does the apostle do? Well, there's Timothy bobbing up and down in the waters, Perhaps his feet are, are slipping off the solid ground. Perhaps he's drifting into the deep end of the pool. Paul calls out to Timothy with the only word that can help him in the midst of his circumstances. He preaches to Timothy this. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. And Paul knows something. He knows that if this word about Jesus can sink deep into the soul of Timothy, that if Timothy can set his eyes upon Jesus just one more time, all will be well for his spiritual son. We have to think about this. This doesn't mean that Timothy's unpleasant circumstances will go away. Persecution, suffering, conflict, the fight for holiness. No, these will all remain. In fact, God will make sure that all of these difficulties remain. They're just like the river in Pilgrim's Progress. They have to be crossed. There is no bridge over them. There are no detours around them. Paul writes in chapter 3, verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. What is Paul saying? You've got to cross the river. But Paul knows this. If Timothy can see, these if Timothy can see Jesus... These circumstances will not destroy Timothy. Instead, they will sanctify him. If Timothy can see Jesus, these circumstances will not extinguish his faith, but, but purify his faith. If Timothy can see Jesus in the midst of all of this, these circumstances won't hinder him, but they're going to knock him closer to Jesus. If Timothy could just see Jesus, this raging river would turn into a wading pool. And so, Paul looks to his spiritual son and he preaches the only message that can help him. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. And so, brothers and sisters, there is a real weightiness to what we find in chapter 2, verse 8. And what Paul is doing here, I want to spell out very clearly to you. 
If Timothy is to persevere in the midst of all of the troubles that he is experiencing, all the difficulties pressing in upon him, he must remember Jesus Christ. Timothy's perseverance, or we could say it another way, Timothy's success as a Christian is entirely dependent upon him fulfilling the command in chapter 2, verse 8. Will he remember Jesus Christ? And we can take this equation and we can flip it around another way. If Timothy fails... So if Timothy turns his back on Paul and Paul's way of ministry, if Timothy disqualifies himself one way or another, it will not be because of all these different circumstances, though they contribute persecution, conflict, all of the rest. It will ultimately because, be because he was unfaithful to heed Paul's words. It will ultimately be because he did not remember Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate root cause of failure. His failure will be directly linked to this fact. He did not obey, remember Jesus Christ. And as we think about it, this logic applies to each one of us. If you're going to persevere unto the end, it will be because you've remembered Jesus Christ. However, if you falter, if you fail, it will be because ultimately you haven't remembered Jesus Christ. The, the whole Christian religion gets boiled down to this matter. Will you set your eyes of faith on Jesus and live by Jesus in Jesus alone or not? And so there's a weight placed upon our shoulders and we need to feel the weight. We have something to do. We have a task to accomplish. We have to remember this Jesus I love what Thomas Brooks, the great Puritan, says about this. He writes, Never let go out of your minds the thought of a crucified Christ. Let these be your meat and drink. Let them be your sweetness and consolation, your honey and your desire, your reading, your meditation, your life, your death, your resurrection. We need to remember Jesus. And so as we look at our text this morning, the task is clear. We need to remember Jesus. And the stakes are even clearer. We will live or we will die with this word. But if we're brutally honest with ourselves, as we look at chapter 2, verse 8, and think about the stakes and our calling, we need some help. And we need help for two reasons. First, we need help because our hearts are not often inclined towards Jesus. We need to remember Jesus, but our, our minds are filled up with all sorts of other things. The hard drive is full. The, the memory capacity is full. We need to remember Jesus, but we're so distracted we can't find our, our way to him. We're diverted by a million other things. We need to remember Jesus, but when we look at Jesus, he doesn't seem captivating to us. He isn't precious. He isn't lovely. He isn't glorious. And so we turn away towards other things. And so what's the fix for this? Well, the fix for this is out of our hands. There are no tips or techniques or strategies that can change the inclination of your heart. We need God's Spirit at work within us to fix this. But there's a second problem as well. And some of us need help because we really have no idea to, to go about obeying Paul's commands. We aren't against remembering Jesus. In fact, we are, we are convinced that we need to go and remember Jesus. Our life depends on it, but it, it seems that this command that Paul gives us is covered by a thick fog. We can't see a way forward, so we need specific directions. Well, how do I actually live my life in a way that remembers Jesus continually? And so the good news is that God is going to meet our 
needs. And he's going to meet our needs in this text of Scripture in front of us. In this text, we're going to find the specific directions that we need. The Apostle Paul is going to teach us how to remember Jesus. But there's more good news as well. Because as we stick our noses in our Bibles, we can expect that we're going to not only meet with each other here, but we're going to meet with God's Spirit as we look into His words. And we can be confident that God is going to meet us and begin changing the inclinations of our hearts. So God's going to meet our needs. So let's stick our our noses into our Bibles and think this through. We're going to ask three questions to help us process this text. First, we're going to ask, well, what are we to remember about Jesus? What are we to remember about Jesus? And then we're going to ask, well, how are we to remember this Jesus? And third, we can ask, well, what does this remembering of Jesus produce in us? So let's think about the first question. Well, what are we to remember about Jesus? And the reality is that there is a lot to remember about Jesus. We could set our minds at work on Jesus' character. We could think about his love, his power, his grace, his mercy. We could think about Jesus' great deeds. We could think about his incarnation. We could think about his powerful ministry, his healing, his raising of the dead, his forgiveness of sins. We could think about his death. But as we consider 2 Timothy, Timothy has specific needs, and he's being pressed in specific ways, and there's specific temptations before Timothy. And so Paul, as a wise spiritual father, looks at his spiritual son, and he points Timothy in a specific direction. He gives Timothy a specific prescription. So listen again to what Paul writes in verse 8. He says, To Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Risen from the dead, the offspring of David. And these might seem like odd bits of information to put together. We hear like this in our our ears. Timothy, think about Easter. On the third day, Jesus rose again from the dead. And then, Timothy, oh, don't forget about Jesus' family tree. Don't forget about the genealogical data. Remember Matthew chapter 1. Jesus is great to the 10th power. Grandpa is who? It's, It's David. And we think, well, what's significant about that? How can that help Timothy? That seems like random information. But what Paul is doing here is profound. He's using theological shorthand. He's saying, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. And what, what Paul is doing, he's, he's packing huge theology into a very tight space. And Paul is reminding Timothy, ultimately, of Jesus' God-given, exalted status. And so we need to tease it out. And we can tease it out like this. Paul is preaching to Timothy something like this. Timothy, Jesus has received the name that is above every name and everyone. It doesn't matter who they are. If they're on heaven or on the earth or under the earth, they will pay homage to that name. They will all bow prostrate before him saying, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Timothy, Jesus has the best name in the universe. And on top of that, Jesus has the best seat in the universe. Jesus is not a a tin pot dictator ruling over an insignificant people in a place that nobody cares about. No, this Jesus has ascended into the heavenly places. He's ascended the very throne of God. And God in his delight has said this to his son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. 
So Timothy, Jesus has the best name. He has the best seat. And on top of that, even more, Jesus has received all authority both in heaven and on earth. Timothy, remember, this Jesus of yours is not a a weak or ineffective king. His will cannot be thwarted. His way cannot be stopped. His his purpose cannot be denied. Remember this Jesus of yours. He's, He's the king who rides on the white horse, and his name is called Faithful and True. Remember that this king has been placed on Mount Zion, and God has enthroned him there, and he will never be moved. God has warned the nation, saying, Kiss the son, lest he be angry. And you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. And Timothy, you remember that this Jesus, who has received the name above all names, who has received the the seat above all seats, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, fights for you. On his throne, he is not forgetting about the lowliest of his Subject, his eyes are trained on you, Timothy. He is ever ready to intervene. He's ready to pour out needed grace. He is ready to send his spirit to you to help you. And so, Timothy, this is your prescription in your set of circumstances. You need to remember Jesus Christ is God-exalted status, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. So that's our first question. What are we to remember about Jesus Well, Paul wants us to remember Jesus' exalted status, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. So we ask our second question, well, how are we to remember Jesus, Paul? So Paul knows Timothy's specific situation and the temptations and the trials that he's going through, and so he gives him a specific specific call. You need to remember Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But like any prescription, there are specific applications that accompany it. So when you go to the pharmacy and you get your prescription, there's always that fine print on what you receive telling you how to use this medicine. If it's a lotion, it tells you how to apply it to your body, where to apply it. If it's a, a pill, it takes you, tells you when and how often to ingest the pill. And so Paul gives Timothy these, these instructions in our passage about how to apply this big theology about Jesus' lordship to his life. And, and Paul doesn't want this big theology just to, to sit out there abstract, but he wants it to come into Timothy's life and start to impact him. And so what Paul does is he gives Timothy a poem, a poem to think about. And there's four parts to this poem. And we see it in verses 11 through 13. Your, your Bible might knock it out for you, setting it in a way that you can see that it's a poem. And this poem is easy enough to memorize, probably in about a half an hour, but it's, it's deep enough, it's thick enough, it's meaty enough to meditate on day after day after day. And as we look at this poem, we learn how to apply Jesus' lordship to our lives. So look at this poem with me. Paul starts this poem in verse 11. He says, If we have died with him, we will also live with him. What is Paul saying? Well, Paul's reminding us of what happened to us when we became Christians. When you believe the gospel, when you called upon Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, when you were baptized in the waters of baptism, something remarkable happened to you. And what is Paul saying? When you did all of this, when all of this, there's something happening to you, you died with Jesus. You were once an enemy of God. You were once a slave to sin. You were once a rebel, but you aren't that anymore. You died to that. Paul puts it like this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 20. He gives his own autobiography. He says... 
I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. That man is, is dead, but it is Christ who lives within me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he's reminding Timothy, something happened to you when you believed in God. When you went into the waters of baptism, you died. But we have to understand that Paul is reminding us, he's reminding Timothy of this fact of the gospel to make an argument. And his argument is this, believer, if you have died with Christ, if you're truly converted, if you've experienced the life-giving work of the Spirit in your life, you're going to experience something else. Your story is going to match Jesus' story. Just as Jesus died on the cross and rose three days later, so will you. Just as Jesus is clothed in the garments of the resurrection, just as Jesus is crowned with a, a, an unfading crown of glory, so will you. It's guaranteed. That's where you're going. That's the narrative of your life. And all of a sudden, this great big theology starts coming in to Timothy's situation. What about this persecution? Paul's going to die. And if I go to Paul, I might die too. But guess what? I already died. And my life is controlled by the narrative of Jesus. And I too will live with him. What can Rome do to me? It can do nothing to me. I belong to Jesus. And I will be raised with him. And Paul continues on. He gives us a second line. He says, if we endure we will also reign with him. So Paul sets before us now our, our obligation, our present obligation, and it's this. You must endure. And as we think about it, this builds on the theme of the entire letter of 2 Timothy. The soldier must please his commanding officer. The enemies may seem mean and daunting. The work may seem hard, but the soldier carries out the order. He just does it. The athlete has to compete according to the rules. His, his lungs might be burning. His legs might feel like dead logs that can't go on any further. But the athlete binds himself to the rules. He's going to compete according to them no matter what because his vision is set upon what? It's set upon the finish line and the glory there. And the farmer, the farmer has to work hard. It doesn't matter if the sun is hot. It doesn't matter if the long, hours are long or his hands hurt. He gets the job done because why? He's laboring for that harvest. He will have it no matter what. And what Paul does in the second line is he reminds us that there's a reward for the soldier, for the athlete, for the farmer, for the Christian. He says this, the one who endures will reign with Christ. The logic is so straightforward. Christ Jesus is seated upon a heavenly throne. Christ Jesus is ruling and reigning over the nations. And what we are promised here by Paul is that in the end, we will have a place to sit if we endure with Jesus. We will sit on his throne with him. And we will have a share in his authority over all the nations. Jesus himself confirms this. He says in the book of Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, promising the churches the one who conquers, or another way, the one who endures, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. The one who conquers, I will give authority over the nations. So what is Paul doing? He's bringing this big theology about Christ's lordship, and he's bringing it into Timothy's heart and life. Timothy, 
You are enduring much, and you're going to have to endure a lot. But what you need to do is you need to set your sights on the ends. You need to live for the greater glory that is coming your way. If you endure now in the mess, in the trouble, you will reign with Jesus. You're going to sit on his throne with him, and you are going to reign with him. You need to think about that. You need to be controlled by that. Paul goes on, line three. He says, if we deny him, he also will deny us. And so in this poem, we soar to great heights, resurrection, the glories of reigning and sitting with Jesus. But this poem also sobers us, and we need to be sobered because doing business with the King of kings and the Lord of lords is serious business. Paul is teaching us that Jesus isn't this couch cushion that we can just push around. We see in this line that Jesus will richly reward obedience and endurance, but on the other hand, he's going to deny those who deny him. He's going to repudiate those who repudiate him. He will disown those who disown him. And again, what is Paul doing? He's bringing this big theology of Jesus' lordship right into our lives. Paul is working hard to change our frame of reference. He's saying, he's preaching, the world's standards of judgment don't actually matter. Your neighbor's standards of judgment don't actually matter. Your, your family's standards of judgment don't actually matter. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he will have a tribunal someday, and you will stand before that tribunal, and all that matters is what he will say on that day. Will he give out rewards or will he deny and turn away saying, I never knew you. I never knew you. So Timothy, you have to fear this, Jesus. You have to take this theology into your hearts and it should create a, a healthy sense of fear in your soul. And Paul gives us one last line. He says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Think about Timothy's ministry situation. Important leaders and teachers are falling away like flies around Timothy. There's Figulus and, and Hermogenes. They turn their back on Paul. Then there's Hymenaeus and Philetus. We're going to learn about them soon. They're, they're talking nonsense about the resurrection. Church members are evaporating into thin air. And surely Timothy, as he's in the midst of the church in Asia, is looking down at the ground and saying, where's the foundation? It seems my world is just rocking about. This church thing seems rather precarious. What is Paul doing here? Well, he's highlighting the, the indestructible purpose of Jesus. Despite all appearances, despite all of the trouble, Jesus' mission will carry on. For at the end of the day, the mission of the church depends upon Jesus, and Jesus will not deny himself. John Calvin captures the idea of this phrase really well. He writes, even if the whole world were to go astray, God's truth would remain untouched. Even if the whole world rejected Jesus, Jesus would be none the worse for it. He's faithful and his purposes will not fall flat. And Paul is bringing this big theology and he's applying it to Timothy's heart. Don't lose heart. There goes Figulus, there goes Hermogenes, there's Hymenaeus and Philetus. Don't lose heart. The mission of the church doesn't depend on these men. It ultimately doesn't depend on you. Even if you are faithless, Jesus' mission will go forward because he cannot deny himself. 
So question one, we need to remember Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords. That's what we need to remember. And second, we need to press it into our lives, thinking about Jesus' resurrection and our resurrection, Jesus' reign and our future reign, thinking about that, that tribunal we'll have to appear before, and thinking about Jesus' indestructible purpose. And we have one more question. Well, what does this remembering produce? What will happen practically if you remember Jesus? What will happen if you live out chapter 2, verse 8, day by day, week by week, year by year? Well, Paul models the answer for us in verses 9 and 10. Paul shows us what it looks like to remember Jesus and what it's going to produce in our lives. Paul writes, for which, I am, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. What does this remembering of Jesus produce? Well, it produces a man who is faithful, resilient, hopeful, and ultimately happy in God. Consider Paul's situation. There he is in Rome, bound with chains. He's already had a, a court session, but apparently it didn't go well. No one stood with him. Even more, he can't do what he loves to do. What does Paul love to do? He loves to spread the word about Jesus. He loves to plant churches. He loves to strengthen disciples. He can't do that. He's bound with chains. Even, even more, he's repudiated as a criminal. He's an enemy of the state. His name has been sullied. And these circumstances could snuff out Paul's faith. As we think about Paul's situation, there shouldn't be any faith. There shouldn't be any resilience. There shouldn't be any hope. There shouldn't be any happiness. But look at the text of Scripture. Look at verses 9 and 10, because it's all there. Paul is still faithful. He will not turn away from Jesus. He says, I am suffering. He doesn't say, I am running. I am anxious. No, he says, I am suffering. I'm still here. And he's resilient. Even though he's in this, these circumstances, he's, he hasn't stopped looking to do good to God's church. He says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Timothy, you have to endure. He's already said that to Timothy. I am enduring. And he is hopeful. He knows that Jesus' purpose, that Jesus' word, that Jesus' will, that Jesus' mission cannot be denied. He says, the word of God is not bound. Though I am bound with fetters, the word of God is doing its work because it's Jesus' word. And he's faithful and he can't deny himself. And ultimately, Paul is happy in the midst of his circumstances. What does Paul talk about? He talks about the salvation that's coming his way, and not only his way, but the church's way. He's thinking about glory. He writes, salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. What has Paul done? He has taken the prescription for himself. He's applied it to his own soul. What he has preached to Timothy, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, and the, and the applications, the, the four-part poem, Paul has applied that to himself, and we see in Paul's life what it's producing. That's what happens when you follow Paul's words. And so, brother and sister, I'm not sure what river, what river you're in the midst of, but I know you're in the midst of a river because God has ordained our lives to be full of rivers that have to be crossed. They cannot be avoided or gone over. You have to wade through them. I don't know which river you are in, but you are in a river, and the question is, 
Will that river destroy you or will you pass through it? And I hope you see after this sermon, after our time in this text, that it all depends on this matter. Will you remember Jesus Christ? Will the preaching of the gospel make a difference in your heart? Will you remember Jesus? And so the Apostle Paul turns to each one of us now and he, he preaches to us saying, Dear Christian, I know you're in the midst of a river, but you need to do this. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. And in the midst of the river, we also have friends. We have those hopefuls behind, beside us and around us. And they cry out to us too, saying, Dear Christian, be courageous. Jesus Christ makes you whole. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are so thankful for this word. We need this word today, right now. And we confess this, the condition of our own souls and hearts. We are often not inclined towards you. Even more, we are often confused about how, how to go about obeying your word. And so we thank you for this word. And we pray now that you would incline our hearts to you. That remembering Jesus would be our delight. And, oh, Father, we pray that you would take that big theology and press it into our heart that we might live to be faithful, resilient, hopeful, and happy Christians, that we might resemble the Apostle Paul. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.